Welcome everybody to the Sydney Opera House on this sunny Sunday afternoon. My name's Edwina Throsby and I'm the Head of Talks and Ideas here at the Opera House. And I am very pleased you're all here for what promises to be a very tasty conversation indeed. It's my huge pleasure to be welcoming not one but two fabulous food-obsessed ladies to the stage today. Maeve O'Mara is the local hero. You will all know Maeve from her SBS program Food Safari. But the other thing that Maeve does is take people on tours through our wonderful foodie city. Sydney, in Sydney we are so lucky to have so much fantastic food available to us here from all around the world. And Maeve's culinary adventures take you to the four corners to show you where the best noodles, the most fabulous kebabs, that stocky soup can be. And then we have the woman who really needs no introduction. The international queen of the kitchens, the enabler of our most depraved food fantasies, <laughs> the original domestic goddess, it is my great pleasure to welcome on this Sunday to the Opera House, Nigella Lawson and Maeve O'Mara. It must be nice to be back and welcomed oh, as one of us. It's lovely. It's so warm because, you know, in, in a way, well, it's quite frightening that moment when you're about to walk on the stage. Um, and that's a lovely welcome. And I'm excited to be here again. It's, it remains the biggest thrill of my life, you know, actually to be on the stage of the Opera House. Um, <laughs> And it's called The People's House, and, you know, it is a great format to be able to have a chat. So welcome, everybody, and let's start. I read this lovely greeting to you in your Instagram account, and it was one of many in a similar vein. And, and this person mm. says, I want to thank you for all you've given the world via your food, personality, and lust for things yummy and delightful. This is a line of work that genuinely brings people joy, isn't it? It's, but it's also so fantastic to have, you know, this communication, because everyone always talks about social media as if it's something that keeps us apart, that it's in some sense um, a delusion of our age, that people are locked into their phones and actually separated from one another. But actually for me, one, it's been one of the great things in feeling this conversation about food really is a conversation. Because it's, I love sharing recipes. It's a, in, in, how do I say this without sounding completely sort of, uh, I don't know, sort of new age pretentious, uh, <laughs> but Go on. It, it's, it, it's a sort of privilege to be in people's homes and to be part of that uh, mesh that creates a family story, that become part of the food that is cooked on special birthdays and just trying to get supper on the table on a mm. weekday. And that's, and that's really wonderful, but when these days, because of uh, Instagram and Twitter and so forth, when people do my recipes and, they, and I can see the food they've cooked and it really does become wow, a, that a, feeling a, a communication and I love that. But hundreds or thousands of, on any one day are actually cooking one of your recipes and then putting it up. 
I, I, and it, and you do have time to see it. 1.1 million Sometimes followers. I'm a bit behindhand <laughs> on all of the... People. I'm a bit behindhand at the moment. I do try and respond to as many people as possible. I'm, and on Twitter, it's kind of easier because it's in a... You know, one path, one little scrolling path that I can follow. I mean, obviously, I can't answer everyone, but I try, and I try and answer when I got something helpful to say. Like, mm. if someone wants a recipe or a question about a recipe, I think that it's. I always, I get, but the only time I get a bit sort of shirty and bad-tempered is when someone says, "Will you tell your social media?" You know, person, and I say, I am my social media person. <laughs> but I think people know, one, because it sounds like me, and also because occasionally I forget to do recipe of the day or do it really late. And oh, I obviously... you do recipe of the day as well. I, I that, do. I thought that might have been someone outsourced and you were the, oh, my God, I've just no, found no, no, the so best. No, 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 it's all arranged. Oh, yeah. We arrange it beforehand, and then I have to do it on the website, and I have to do the link. I do the link every day and put it up there, and obviously I suddenly think... <gasps> It's two in the afternoon and I haven't done recipe of the day yet. Because it's very, very confusing wow. when I'm on social media. Now, guilt. do I stay? I'm staying on UK, UK time when I post it now because I feel that for some reason, I, well, I can do that then because it's. I do it in the evening here and I just can't remember what day I've posted or anything. Fantastic. So people imagine an enormous team. What things would be we'd be surprised to find that you actually do that that everybody thinks oh well someone must do that for her. God, I think I do. I do quite a lot of it. I'm really now. How do I? I would say um, that I'm very hands-on. People who get irritated might say I was a control freak, <laughs> um, but I, as far as I'm concerned, I really need to be in you know, at all times. So, uh, so, you know, obviously I do the recipes and I do the testing. Oh, now I'll put this down because yeah. you actually do a lot of hands-on with the book as oh, well. completely. So, well, I've always... I mean, I've, I've worked with the same designer forever and it's a very good working relationship and she's extraordinarily talented. And like a lot of very talented people, she doesn't uh, have an overbearing ego. So she's very open to... You know, my saying, oh, can we change the font colour? I want to, so for example, this font is charcoal, dark charcoal, not black. I wanted it, I, want, I really envisage this sort of terracotta and uh, black and white thing going on from the, from the beginning. And I can't tell you what a tantrum I had to have to make sure I got some of these sprayed edges. Unfortunately, I think all the sprayed edges have sold out now and it's there onto white ones, but I tried my best. Um, wow, that, that is detail. <laughs> and you know, people who have a lot of my books know I always have a ribbon. In, in How to Eat, I had two ribbons, and the designer said, This isn't, does she know it's not the Bible? <laughs> and I felt, wow. Um, so for this book, I was, I don't know if any of you ha have um, come across a food writer called Olia Hercules. She wrote a book called Mamushka. Um, which is uh, her background in Ukrainian food, and she's just written a book called, um, obviously it's gone out of my head, I say Caucasus, which is about Georgian food. And I went to her house. I, she's a young food writer, and I like to encourage the young and up-and-coming, although she's more than that, but I just feel that people sometimes get defensive and... 
um, not very generous with people who are starting in, in the same field. And I always think, you know, that all of us get knocked off our perch sooner or later, and I'd rather be knocked off by a talented person. <laughs> so, so is she the so, next Nigella? No, no, she's very good. No. There are lots of young food writers yeah. that I try and encourage and help. And I'm, I, I write about other food books on my website, and I think that if you like food, you like sharing, and therefore I want to share my enthusiasms for other food books mm. too. It's all part of the same thing. I was at Olia's flat, and she cooked for me, and there was the most beautiful bowls. And she said, oh, I got them from somewhere called Apasuka in Hungary. So I tried to get them. And I've got some of the china in, in the book. And um, then I loved it so much, so much. And I like this idea of having this pattern rather like an old-fashioned book. But also, I've never had no jacket before. No, no it's very bad English. I have, you know, all my books have jackets, um, except the redesigned ones. But... They designed me, the people from Hungary designed me my own pattern um, to go on the book, and it, that was wonderful. I like the idea that having a book cover that is inspired by plates. And it's tactile, too. It feels beautiful, as, as a lovely book should. Yes, but every element is so important. When I cook, mm. I feel that the feel of everything is so important, the look of it, when I lay a table, because I feel, in a way, it's those everyday things that, if you get pleasure out of them, can transform a minute, a second, and that's important. What I should say, which I don't think I have said up till now, which is I actually have made some of the plates in this book, too. I went on a pottery, <laughs> co I went on a pottery course um, <laughs> with among some friends of mine, one of whom is uh, Yotam Ottolenghi, and he was much better at the pottery than me, I can tell you. I had, to, I had visions that I was just going to be a, a potter, but, but then I tried it, and obviously I wasn't going to be a potter. <laughs> um, the wheel defeated me. I thought everyone said it's like cooking. It's not. If something goes wrong when you cook, you can still eat it. But, you know, when you just got a, an amorphous mound of clay, um, it went... But anyway, so I did do... Um, so I made stuff, I, I started doing the stuff when you roll it out, which is a bit more like baking, I suppose. Oh, and I like that, and I'm trying to find... The, um, the sausage shape around. Well, I just... No, I couldn't do the coils either. That no. was too hard, too. <laughs> um, but I did ones when you roll it like that and you press it, and I did one I'm trying to find. But I did it when I put it through a roller, and then I found some nylon shopping basket net mesh thing and um, oh, did a pattern. The texture, and lovely. I don't know quite, it's actually pretty hideous but you know when things are <laughs> you know when things are really so ugly you almost think they could be beautiful. Anyway, so I don't know if you can see but that is one of my artworks. Oh, lovely. Fantastic. That's one of my plates. And I did make some very bad bowls. And it's, it made me laugh, really, because I spent, when my children were small, they would come back with, you know, very badly made bits of pottery from school, and I'd say, that is so wonderful. And now I'm coming back and saying to them, hey, and they're going... And, I, and one was very bad. My daughter said, I could tell that was your one. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I now feel it's so good, because in this day and age, if something is misshapen, you, it's, it's, you just say it's organic. Yes. It's an organic shape. <laughs> Talking about tables and the, uh, and the title of the book, tables knit people together, don't mm. they? They're more than just somewhere to go and eat. They're the lifeblood of a, of a family, and family cooking is, is mm. all important. So, so tell me your earliest memory of being at a table. 
Well, I suppose my earliest memory of being at a table is the table I didn't really like being at. You know, I must think I've spoken about this before mm. when I was a child, so this blue formica table, which I remember as huge, and I suppose it must have been just a regular table, but of, you know, my memory of it was this huge expanse, like a swimming pool. Um, but I don't think they made this huge blue formica tables, so I can only presume it was a regular size. Uh, I was very small. Um, but I didn't like eating, and I didn't really enjoy being there. It was always a bit fraught. But nevertheless, so many of my memories also with, are not just um, about eating at the table. My brother instigated this game, which had a, you had a teacup in the middle, and you would throw, you had to throw tea bags, and to see who get the wet most. Tea bags. You know, no dry ones. Right. No wet ones are much easier because they've got weight. Yeah. It's much harder to make an, uh, a dry tea bag to steer it and guide it. Mm. Very, very useful talents we have in my family. <laughs> but I think the thing is, is that there's something about particular tables that remind me, and I, it's almost like a, a strange sort of picture. If I think about being at my grandparents' house, my paternal grandparents, I automatically remember that very, very high-polished brown wood that was very of the period, really. Mm. That is, you can't imagine ever being, you know, allowed to spill anything on it, and placemats, and all sorts of that sort of rather. It was rather formal. They had a sideboard, um, and I, when I think of that, I always think of a proper roast dinner, you know, oh, yeah. in that. Um, and my grandfather, in fact, all of us at home, we always used to talk about red gravy because was, they didn't want to say, you know, blood. Because oh, we gravy. go, oh, but of course, yes, red gravy, which I didn't want then. Now, you know, now I eat meat incredibly underdone, but then I, I it, it frightened me. Have your tastes changed over the many years in, in food? Well, they've changed since I was a child. Mm. Um, although I've always, even as a child who didn't like eating, I've always adored spinach. Really? Is, I know, it's strange, isn't it? Mm. Um, I have you know, my taste hasn't changed an awful lot because from, from starting off as someone who ate virtually nothing or liked eating very few things, I, I rapidly became someone who really ate everything and I haven't, I haven't restricted that. As I get older, things do interrupt my eating pleasure. I don't, can't eat raw onions. Unless, I mean, but in fact, I've been, I, I never really was a raw onion person unless I soaked the onions first, which I often do in lime juice or vinegar, which makes it, you know, which means I can. So I think that I've always had um, a, a taste for sour food and for spicy food. Mm. And I suppose rather than changing, I, I, I'm lucky enough, and this is, you know, you'll, I, I suppose, understand that, that, that thrill of finding more foods that come into that category as I ha have the occasion to eat more. And I suppose that's always nice that I can eat more. Um, <laughs> but I think I'm, I'm someone who likes to try all sorts of foods. So it's, I don't feel I suddenly want to eat more vegetables. More well, I always eat a lot of vegetables. Yeah. You know, I've always eaten a lot of vegetables. I like salt mm. a lot. People do remark on I like a lot of salt, but I always say, say in, in my defence, not that I want to sound remotely defensive. Um, in my defence, I have low blood pressure, which means I have to eat a lot of salt. <laughs> and um, 
I don't eat um, much processed food, so that I use, you know, molten salt. When I'm here, I love using the, you know, wonderful Murray River salt or Tasmanian mm. salt, and there's such wonderful salts in all the countries you go to if you, you know, search for it. And so if it's real salt and I haven't got, I don't know what, injected into the food I eat, then I'm fine. I mean, I say I don't eat much processed food. To some extent, you know, cooking, or cooking is a form of process, I mean, is a process. If you eat any, more as anything, you are eating processed food, but the processes are not industrial. Mm. Mm, indeed. Tell me, um, when you introduce a golden egg curry in this latest book, you say it's very far removed from the egg curries I remember from my early youth and would much prefer to forget. Mm. Were there terrible meals? I believe your mother was a great cook. My but... mother was a good cook, but mm. of course there were some terrible meals. And actually, although I... They, but sometimes I have a fondness for them. So but the <laughs> egg curry in particular was people would hard boil an egg and leave it too long so it would get those rings, greeny grey rings going <laughs> round. I don't mean leave it too long and it's bad, it's just that you not peel it straight away. And the curry sauce, people would put things like bananas in curry sauce when I was young. Oh my and God. things like that, I know. <laughs> um, and sometimes I think, Do you know, maybe I should just try it like that again. You know, putting a, people put, put sultanas and bananas and things like that in curry. There is a rather good curried baked bean, I don't know if I've spoken this before, that I used to have with my grandmother, curried baked beans with sultanas in. Strangely delicious. It must be your Vegemite. Because <laughs> that really... I love Vegemite too. I'm a oh, traitor. Really? I'm a traitor to my Marmite eating country. Fantastic. Oh, that's really good. Fantastic. Tell me, generally, is, is coming up with recipes easy? I think it would be hard if I sat down and thought, right, I've got to come up with a recipe. Mm. But in a way, I tend to come up with recipes because I'm cooking and I cook something that I like and then it becomes the recipe. The first time I do it, it's just because I'm opening, you know, my fridge and seeing what I've got. The fridge forage remains for me um, very uh, creative mm. because you've just got to think on your feet and come up with something, come up with something and it's often quite fast. And so I like that. I find I... I'm greedy, so I'm always thinking about, you know, what I was going to eat today. I did have a, a massage earlier, a hot stone massage, and I thought that a bit mad, really, because you, no one really relaxes before they go on a stage. But I thought I relaxed, and instead I was thinking, I was lying there thinking, I think if I put some dried porcini mushrooms <laughs> in a... Um, in my Nutribullet and it made, turned it into, with a bit of salt, turned it into oh. like a porcini Powder. salt, mm. and then mixed it with butter and then put it under, in between the breast and the skin of a chicken before I roasted it. Then I thought, no, she was placing stones and, <laughs> and I thought, no, actually, it's going to be too much bother to put it in between the breast and the skin. Why don't I just put it on top? And then I can maybe put some sage inside the chicken. I thought, I don't know that I'm meant to be lying here doing recipes. <laughs> but that I sounds was. delicious. So I does, doesn't it? Um, and but the thing is, so I suppose I'm, I can't help but in an idle moment, um, just think about what I could be eating. 
And I also get incredible ideas for recipes when I'm traveling. Mm. And it's not always completely linear. So I don't go to a restaurant and think, I'm going to copy that and do it at home. I sometimes think, what a fantastic pairing of ingredients. And I'd like to see what I can do in a more manageable way. And sometimes it could be just seeing, seeing something great in a, as I walk past a food shop and thinking, I want to use... But it's a I'll continual thought it's, it's, process. I can't help but that's how my mm. mind works. And I also feel when I finish a book and I have stopped measuring and weighing, I get this fizzing up of liberation. Because much as I really enjoy doing a book, it isn't quite in my personality to be writing down everything I do. And I do do it. But when I'm suddenly let off the leash and I can just cook without thinking, sometimes it, it, it sort of unlocks a bit as mm. well. But I find even the, the, the if you like, the straitjacket of having to obey my own recipes um, can be fruitful as well, in the sense that I get certain ingredients for a recipe. I have them lying about the house. And unlike, you see, I always repeat certain ingredients in my books a lot because I don't want to go out shopping for an ingredient I only use for one recipe and I don't presume anyone else does so I'm always thinking a bit like that so sometimes it's it's a bit like it's a bit as if um, sometimes freedom can be very uh, inspiring but actually constraints I think I read about this in my first book you know it's the constraints that make the form and having to think I've got these ingredients in the house now. I have to use them. That's what I'm going to cook with. It, it sounds you like know. you have a lot of ingredients. That, oh, the clutter. And, and I love the clutter that bit of my kitchen. going into the pantry. That, uh, that I think, is my yeah. favourite thing I've seen you do. Because it was cluttered. Thank God, it looked like my pantry. Oh, I but know, but I have got... To, I'm, I'm, this is my, my resolution for this year is I'm going to declutter. No. It's not as if I haven't said it every year, but I am going to declutter, because sometimes I feel, you know, my, a cupboard, my, the cupboards of my house are a health hazard. And wardrobe, I said, I'm going to de... My wardrobe, I'm going to streamline it. I've got clothes I haven't worn. I come to this country, I've bought too many clothes, and I feel like I'm, I'm, I promise I'm not going to unpack them from my suitcase until I clean my uh, <laughs> wardrobe out, which means I just will be living with unpacked suitcases for a very long time. So you're a shopper, you like to... No, no? I, I'm not normally a shopper. I'm a food Australian shopper, clothes are great, but though. they are great, and also mm. because I was, I was, um, I was on... Uh, been filming MasterChef, and there's a fabulous stylist there, so someone else does the shopping for you. So it's really like, yeah, that's an easy way of shopping. Good. But um, no, it's also, so I always feel like, well, there are clothes I can't get at home, so I want to get them, like what I'm, I'm wearing now, which I just had to have, obviously. <laughs> and the wonderful colour Zampati. Lovely. And, um, but the, the real truth is, is that it really feeds in a bit to what I feel about food and eating, mm. which is, um, if you're lucky enough to have food and to be able to eat and to be able to enjoy that, which a lot of people in the world can't. It is your sacred duty to appreciate it, to revel in it, to enjoy it as much as possible. So I feel that things that, are, that make life good, hmm. that can't be taken for granted. So I feel like, no, this is a, an opportunity. You know, this is... So I don't want to... If I'm 
This is my excuse for trying out so many different ice cream bars in Melbourne. <laughs> I'm, it's my opportunity. I've got to... I, I'm here. I want, I want to take part in life. Brilliant. Yeah, and That's set a table. That's my opportunity for buying too many clothes, too. <laughs> and then... But I, I will balance it with... Yeah. I will balance it with some decluttering. But it's very difficult because food shopping is very, very pleasurable, isn't it? And I think I have this need to feel that, you know, should, you know, I have enough... It's my atavistic refugee mentality. There, there needs to be food in the house. I, 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 can't, I never quite understand it when I go to people's houses and I just open their fridge, and if they don't have lots of leftovers in bowls and things everywhere or things wrapped up, I think... How do they live without knowing that they can take... <laughs> there's no food there. You know how some people just have, like, wine in their fridge? And I... I you know, the wine is great in this country, but mm. I still go for the food first. OK, so what's in your fridge that we need to know about that, that you know... That Something you I barely know. Yeah, well, it, it no. creates lots of recipes, but... Give us a little snapshot of, of well, what's I've there. Well, I've been on the road for a while, so I hate to think what's in my fridge at the moment. <laughs> um... Well, at the moment, I suppose I probably have an open tub of harissa, mm. you know, that fantastic Tunisian paste, which... Uh, Chilli-based paste. It's, but it's, just, it's so wonderful, that chilli mm. paste, if you like it, because I use it for all sorts of things outside of its own sort of geocultural uh, starting point. You know, I, p I put black beans in my slow cooker with it. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. And, of course, you know this wonderful thing about slow cooking when you don't have to soak them either, which has changed my life. <laughs> Chickpeas in the slow cooker that you don't soak. Um, so I have... And preserved lemons. So I'm still in that sort of Middle Eastern Middle territory. Yeah. Uh, preserved lemons, which I am mad about, but then I do love lemons. Do you make lemons. your own or do you buy them? I have made my own, oh. and a friend of mine often makes them, but I actually buy them. Mm. Because I think when you buy those ones, the, 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 the skin is thinner. I can't get the skin on my lemons to be quite that soft. Mm. Fantastic. And anyway, I have nothing against shopping for things. No. In that sense that I, I think it's so... No, people are so quick to be, be disapproving. And I, one of the things I dislike... Um, in one area of the whole food world is the, the food as status symbol. I don't like people trying to make other people feel that they're doing something that they look down on. And I feel that... Um, you know, I just feel... I can't make my own clothes. I can't make my furniture. I've tried making my bowls. wasn't great. <laughs> um, so why should I... Why does it make me a better person to make my food? I love cooking mm. but I also um, appreciate what you know what other people do and I'm very happy to to you know I don't make my own cheese I every now and then I start thinking I'm making labna and I start you know getting a bit of muslin thing and sieves like that and then I just feel I leave it in there for too long I can't bring myself <laughs> then to do anything with it so I feel that right leave it to the experts until I suddenly want to. You know, in yeah. my first book, I said, you know, you don't need to make your own mince pies. And then suddenly I started making mince pies, which very few people will really know what I'm referring to here, I think. Um, but, you know, I, th I think as much as possible, food is something that is to, 
to, that we should, it's a conversation to share and mm. meals to share, not a way of getting one up on someone else. And when, that, when I see that happening, I always feel like I don't want any part. I, yes, homemade chicken broth is fabulous, but on a day-to-day -day basis, I will use an instant stock, mm. you know, because that's how we cook. You know, frozen peas. As you know, Nigel Sater calls me the queen of the frozen <laughs> pea. That's a great thing. The, uh, one of the great things about this latest book is that there's a lot of freeze ahead or make ahead. You know, it's the, the working to, woman's saviour. I, I think it's really important mm. to do that make ahead and freeze ahead. And you'll all be very, very delighted to know I get someone technical to write those <laughs> for me. Because I but sometimes... Because every now and then I do say, it says in the make-ahead, put in the fridge, and I never do. But it's your risk, because I have to do that, because people get frightened of, you know, like a cake. I don't ever think you should put in the fridge, but I'm obliged for self, for sort of, you know, that health and safety thing to say, to put in the fridge. In this country, it might be wise. Um, but, uh, but I think that I've... And I'm a bit more laissez-faire, because sometimes... I look at, when I'm making something, I think, how long can I make it ahead? And I see that um, it, the person I use, Caroline, says three days, and I think five will be fine. <laughs> um, but, but, I, but I think that it really is helpful to have that and to know how to, to keep things ahead. Well, you've been a handholder for, for many people. It's, it's that sort of that confident voice that takes you through a recipe that, you know... We've, trust you that, well I, that you know. but but I but I but it matters to me so much that the recipe works and not only that it works but that I feel really thrilled with it and the, and also that I have to stop myself from making it too often because wow, those are the recipes when I feel like I've got to stop making this now for, for a while that's impressive can I can I just come to the voice in the book mm. so it sounds like you're making it, you're cooking it and you're actually writing notes at the time and then you sort of I often down. can't read my notes though because I've got very bad writing. Oh, but, but there's an immediacy. There's <laughs> yes. a, you know, this is what it's going to smell mm. like and when it gets to such and such a stage. So yes. They are all your recipes. They are, and They're I not... cook them a lot. Yeah. So I've cooked them quite a lot, so I do know, and I, might, and I, I get an idea of what will happen, you know, of things that, the troubleshooting ideas or what, the sort of places where, you know, I might stop being a bit you know, panicky, so I know that the reader might as well. Mm. Have you got a favourite recipe in this book? Well, I never have one favourite recipe, but there are the recipes that I have to stop myself making over and over again are the savoury front, is the pea and chicken tray bake, when you actually put frozen peas in the oven <laughs> as they are. It's a miracle. Um, and you just chop up a leek, some, mince a bit of garlic, put them with some fresh dill and olive oil, and I use a bit of vermouth, but you can use white wine. Um, just, there they are, freezing hands. Put them, put them on the, in a sort of oven tray, put the chicken thighs on top, bit of sea salt on the chicken and a bit more olive oil into the oven, roast it. To, so obviously it makes the oven temperature come down straight away, so you cook them for longer than you would normally, just some chicken thighs. But there's something about the liquid that the peas give off that it steams the chicken from the underside too, and the, the skin gets really crisp, and the chicken is so tender. How did you come up with that? Well, actually, a Greek friend of mine uh, said that he puts that when he does, he cooks fish like that. So I thought that's a brilliant idea. Fantastic. And uh, you know, which I said in the book, I always try and credit where you know recipe comes from. And the thing is, as well, is that they they taste like those really really expensive, you know, French petit pois in a jar. 
Um, so I do that a lot. And there's a butternut and sweet potato curry I make an awful lot. And I'm, I like, I, it includes fresh turmeric, which I'm mad about at the moment. I mean, obviously, you can use dried. And in fact, you know, in Asia, they do use dried mm. more. But I do enjoy getting everything to a golden paste. And what comes first, the book or the TV show? Book. Or the sort of the book? Book. Yeah. Very much. I, I have an idea. I, I feel a book. I feel the shape of a book. I know ex I'm, I'm, in a way, led to that form. And then afterwards, the TV comes out of it. And the grammar of TV is different. I've done TV for a long time, but I still understand the feel of a book more. Mm. And do you have a say in the, in the TV the look of the TV, you know, the whole aspirational oh. food television I, is an unreal world, as, as we all know. But I have a say enormously in the sense that I, I'm, you know, I, I, I have to say exactly what bowl everything goes in. Oh, wow, you do we have, have a, a say. Meeting, <laughs> we have a meeting that actually is more stressful than you can imagine, but it's very important, which is we go through every recipe that's going to be in the series itemizing exactly what equipment is needed because you have to get more than one sometimes mm. but also i've always got little bits and pieces that i've had pages which you can't really duplicate but i which we use sometimes and then it just takes longer to film but no i'm over everything and it's it's quite a takes hours i always have you know it, you know, it takes goes through lunch that meeting because it takes so long. <laughs> After everything stops for lunch in my house. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. And it Phones is your off, it is your house. Off. It is so so the divide between reality and um, and you know, aspirational. It is your house. I don't film in my house anymore. You don't film in I your house. I work in my house. No, no. no I do the I, all the the book photographs are done there, but I I don't film in my house anymore. It's too hard to keep it clean to have people come in, isn't it? Well, oh, look, no, sorry, I'm talking here from my own well, experience. Well, it's not, it's, it's, it's more the fact that it's, no one else can do anything. I mean, it takes, it takes mm. over completely. And I think that um, the, you, the, it's so it's sort of broadly copied and then we change it a bit for the last series. So it's a bit less like my house now because I wanted to do different colors. And nice. now I'm thinking, I'd, maybe I should do that at home too. Um, <laughs> but it's you, it's much easier to film because the, you can, it's bigger and it's you can get more camera angles. Otherwise, really, in my house, you could only get one, mm. and, and you can't have anyone doing anything even in in the street. So it, it stops it. It was you know it was, it was good at the beginning, and mm. I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise. But it doesn't work now. Yeah, that's but I do the book there, and I work from home. Oh, that's fantastic. Very, very liberating to be able to sort of go out and work and film and, and uh, put beautiful television together that inspires us all. Can I ask you about food trends? And I noticed that there's a recipe using a spiralizer in this book, but generally, where, where do you sit on food trends? What have, what have you taken and loved? I don't know. I, as much as possible i don't know that food trends interest me enormously i think they we can't help but be affected without 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 
being aware, I mean, you, it, because the sort of foods that are available, I mean, mm. for example, this whole fermenting trend. In my last book, I had some quick pickles, things like that. But actually, you know, I was brought up with that because we, were, we had sauerkraut at home, which I rather love, and I adore kimchi. And I, I saw, and I did buy myself a, a fermenting pot, which I'm still looking at. <laughs> um, and, but I did like the idea of doing it. Mm. Um, Otherwise, I suppose without meaning to, I, I suppose I'd say now, it, perhaps it's wrong to describe this as a trend, but if I use the word trend to mean a, a way of eating that is gathering momentum, I would say, without even being aware of it, I, veganism is mm. something that influences me. Um, I'm not a vegan, I eat meat, but... Um, I suppose this is why I believe in a balanced way of eating for me, which is that when I was doing the index, you know, doing the, we do blobs to mean gluten-free, blob to mean dairy-free, mm. vegetarian, vegan, and we do a sort of bingo when we have one of us, got someone in my office who goes, says, you know, the recipe, and we have to go through saying, I live in fear of getting the wrong blobs on the index. <laughs> but anyway, and after we did a tally afterwards, you know, over half, um, not counting desserts, which are vegetarian, um, of the savoury di dishes, over half are vegetarian and a third are vegan. I have got one vegan cake, actually, and just fantastic. And this isn't because I've sat down and thought I must do vegan recipes. It's because, in a way, Eating takes, eating, if you are relaxed about it, takes in all manner of eating, all forms of eating. Mm. But I do think that that's been the, perhaps the biggest change, that vegan used to be a byword for dull, worthy food. And now I think, immediately, when I think of vegan, I often think of creative, uh, bold-flavoured, exciting food. And I do think, and I'm sure you agree, if you like cooking, having to, ha cooking with, in a way, concentrating on the sort of food with a different focus makes you think quite interestingly, uh, or I find it interesting, you know, when I cook, to think, how can I do that? I don't like using a lot of those fake things. I don't really want to get vegan cheese, because I'm not a vegan. Mm. So I, I suppose it's that, but, but in a way, I think that is, that is a trend that I, I think maybe anyone who writes about food is influenced by, or, or we're, a, we're a part of it, without, without being, um, I would say, consciously uh, following a trend. Mm. Uh, just on family, I love that your daughter called you the most childish adult she'd ever met. I don't know what context, but I, don't but, know but what I find context that very I'm charming. Oh, this was sort of homework that I'd done. I thought, oh, well, that's really hard to do, particularly when you've been the sole parent for, for a long time, that you're sort of holding up those worlds and yet you still... I'm not... I, she was obviously... I was obviously... You know, I obviously was... Frustrating was, oh, Yes, I was obviously doing something like that because I don't know that I am... I don't know that she'd always say that, but maybe I am. Maybe I am very childish. <laughs> I always think of myself as someone who's never been childish, even as a child. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I believe you're more comfortable being an adult. Yes. That, that those years were, were difficult in, yeah, in some but ways. I, yes, but I, think, but, but I think that a lot of people just aren't... I mean, I aren't suited to being a child. You know, I didn't... You know, I, I didn't like playing and things like that. And, um, you know, and being told what to do all the time. People say, brush your hair, always. And I just had brushed it 
<laughs> do you feel you're at a stage of life now that you can do pretty much what you want to? You can guide it whichever way. You're, you're in a, a good space. Oh, I feel I have no control over anything. Oh, really? Yes. But this wonderful sort of creative ideas, books coming. Oh, I love and, that. Yeah, no, I like that. that. But, yeah. but what I mean is, is that you just have an idea and each time you think, I mean, I, every time I finish a book, I think that's it. I'm never be able to do another one. Um, I don't, and I also feel, I always feel very bad about sticking my head at you. Um, <laughs> I also feel to some extent um, that life is so uncontrollable. I mean, so it's, that's maybe why the, the, the discipline of cooking gives me um, pleasure. Mm. That it's, there's, you're, there's still a bit of chaos going on in the kitchen, and yet it's contained and there are certain rules as well. Not too many, I'm not really good at following rules, but I, I think that I, I never feel, I never know what's gonna happen. You never know what's around the corner, what's gonna go well, what's gonna go badly. And so I suppose I don't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a planner, and I don't know. I always feel like, who knows what's next? Sounds like you very much live in the moment. That time in the kitchen is creative time, it's joyous time, and beautiful things come out of it. I wish I could say that were true. I am, I do live in the moment a bit when I cook, but mm. I'm also, like so many of us, I'm also, you know, my, I have terrible vices, which is I can be a terrible festerer. What's a festerer? You know, when I sit and fester over oh, things. So I do lots stewing. of... So I feel that I do, yes, stewing. I do a lot of that. I do a lot what of worrying. What are you worrying. festering over I do at a the lot moment? of worrying. Every, oh, no, no. I can fester over... It's like the smallest things. Hmm. Like, you know, just... It really would be... To, what I'm going to wear, what I wore yesterday, when I, you know, did I, should I have gone into that side of the road or that side of the road? Um, well, not quite as bad as that, but, you know, it could be. Um, and I, you know, I worry about things in the future, but that's why I think, you know, working and being with people I mean, is, is liberating because you don't then. But I think we all, it's a bit like lying on a massage table and thinking the good side is thinking about a roast chicken I might make, but the bad side might be that... When I did that roast chicken before, I really think I should, that would be better if I'd done it differently. But you are that. a phenomenal worker, aren't you? you? You do work hard. Yes, but I like my work. Mm. You know, that I'm in this immensely privileged and wonderful position of feeling that um, I'm being me when I work. Mm. And I, it, there's, I mean, there are always things that I don't like doing. Um, and anything that requires filling in a form is that sort of thing. That I find there's no pleasure to be derived mm. from that. Um, but you know, so there are always things you don't want to do. But, but broadly speaking, that I'm not feeling I'm having to sacrifice myself when I'm working. And obviously, my work frightens me. But I think fear is a, a necessary element of life and work. Not too much fear, but just enough. Fear of? I don't know, just that you won't be able to do something. <laughs> uh, do you really eat from the fridge late at night? <laughs> um, I don't quite know how. In theory, no, but in practice, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I find as I've got older, I can't eat quite so late into the night. Oh. But that doesn't always stop me. 
So, so what are what are snack foods late at night constitute? Something that you well, is if there there's any blue, there? if there's any blue cheese in the house, oh. that's it. Yes, you know. Uh, but otherwise, it's it's a it's about just using you know seeing something that's in the fridge, good bread and butter. Yeah, it calls always. to you, doesn't it? Oh, always. <laughs> um, but I and I do have I routinely that's when I eat chocolate, dark chocolate. So it's I, I always say I need the magnesium and. I, <laughs> <laughs> Is there something you don't eat, Nigella? I don't like it. I think I said before, I don't like a green bell pepper, whatever you call it. You don't oh, call yeah, it that. green capsicum. I don't eat that. But, um, but I feel that, you see, I don't feel bad about anything I do eat because in the sense that... Because I don't deny myself. For example, routinely, I just have two squares of chocolate. That's really about, for me, the perfect amount. Um, but because I'm not denying it, the chocolate to myself. I don't then have to have the whole bar. Um, the only time I do is if I've been drinking, but I don't do. It. I don't drink an awful lot, and I, I'm a such a poor drinker that I can have two and a half glasses of wine, and then I had to go into eating overdrive because I, I don't. I, I've got f pathetic capacity. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Australian. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me the the five two the inter intermittent fasting is that something that has crossed your boundaries at all the idea of actually I've, eating less on particular days or I've come across I mean I've know a lot of people who do it mm. and I've come across it in a different way when someone I know was very ill and the the nothing was working in the hospital did uh, put her on a fast to and it did trigger uh, recovery. And she told me that she did something which was advised, which was um, she route every day left 16 hours between meals. So she did mm. that every day. And it wasn't, she didn't need to lose weight or anything. It was a health thing. Um, and I did see a television program when it was shown that, I mean, as much as, that for all I know, there's much evidence to the contrary as well. There always is in science, uh, or in, in the so-called what's healthy or not. But uh, Michael Mosley did do that when he mm. said it was very. It, it was thought to slow down um, various degenerative diseases, including uh, dementia. Mm. Uh, and so that's interesting. But it's a long time not to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? It is a long time not to eat. Or go and and I'm not snack. a picker in between meals much, um, but I, I do like to have meals, and I think missing one out would make me panic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the uh, UNESCO decreed the French meal as one of the intangible treasures of the world, that stopping and sitting and eating. Do you think that's, that's something wonderful. that we need to be including in the way that we live as life goes faster? Well, I think it's one of those difficult things because I think it's really important. And yet, you know, for so many people, the days are so frenzied and difficult to get through mm. this that I don't see the point in us then making people feel bad because they're not spending longer sitting down and having a, a civilised meal. Even if it's ten minutes, we're very fast eaters in, in my home, so a meal is over pretty quickly. Um, so even if it's 10 minutes you're sitting and you've eaten everything and you've talked, 
that's a, that's a well spent minutes. that's a well spent 10 minutes i i do for me it makes a big difference i don't like um i mean i'd rather eat standing up than not eat at all um for sure mm. but preferably i mean i mean pre i i otherwise i'd be sitting at a table or lying in bed one of the two <laughs> but i you know the, i'd but i do think that thing of sitting at a table um just can feel like a moment's breath and uh, that it isn't just that you're actually savoring the moment and i think that's very important i feel that when i cook i like to savor the moment as i cook but i certainly do when i eat one again one of my life's ambitions is to make myself into a slower eater <laughs> how's it going <sighs> not brilliantly <laughs> um what i'm trying to not i'm tr not brilliantly and i'm I know it's meant to be better for us all, mm. but I think eating slowly makes it less pleasurable. Is this mindful eating? So it's mm. many times No, it's that just you so chew? you... No, because sometimes yeah. I think, you know, I just... It's just that embarrassing thing when I've finished my lunch and someone's three mouthfuls in. <laughs> um, I, I think that as long as I... Um, so I think eat the first few mouthfuls fast and then slow mm. down. I think that's a... Mindful eating... I don't know. I, I, I think that I like being flooded with pleasure. <laughs> and, that's the, and that's what eating fast gives me. But I do think it is good to slow down a bit. So I, I'm, I'm trying to come to a working arrangement. <laughs> I will I want, keep you posted. I want to ask you about the, the Me Too movement, the, the rising up of, mm. of women against uh, workplace predators. Mm. Is that uh, something that you have viewed with interest, the way that this has sort of unfolded. I think everyone's. I think, er I think everyone's. I think. I don't want to say interest. I think everyone's viewed it. Uh, I suppose. Well, some people have different interests, but I think everyone mm. um, feels that it's. Well, it says something important. Mm. I'm very, and I and I think it's also very good that young women are, are brought up, perhaps to, to fight and to feel they must stand up for themselves. I think certainly women of my generation were always encouraged to make uh, men feel good about themselves. And I don't mean it to, that meant we were hmm. taught to acquiesce, but in perhaps uh, shunning um, any overture, we were always told that we mustn't make a man feel bad about anything, you know, that, and I think that uh, it's, it's good that there's a generation of women who aren't being brought up to think that the most important thing is that the man feels okay about having made a pass at someone that is rejected. Mm, mm. Yeah, we've moved yeah. a long way from that, I agree. Yeah. And the food industry, and particularly the restaurant industry, is one of those hierarchical workplaces where a lot of bullying and, and intimidation can take place. But that hasn't been part... You haven't well, I'm had not a, part of the restaurant world. You haven't been world. part of that I'm restaurant always, world. I also think, anyway, I'm always very concerned about the fact that it's very important to remember that this affects women in every line of work. Mm. And perhaps, you know and in very unglamorous lines of work too, where they don't have voices to complain. And, that, and I think that's, it's important that those 
those women's lives are being paid attention to and being safeguarded. Mm. Uh, youth culture still rules in the, in the Western world, and yet in many other cultures, women, older women, reign supreme. Can, can you see a stage that in the Western world we'd really value and respect older women? Like, could, could grey become the new black, do you think? What do you think? <laughs> I think in some way that, you know, it, it's so difficult to say because I think in some way we do all respect, in, and, and privately, for everyone in, in, in their lives, they, I think people do respect older women. Mm. I think that, but nevertheless, yes, life is, is about, to a certain extent, there's youth culture, but I do think that um, what... No, I think, I think older women are, are listened to, and I think we do think in our own lives, that you know, whether it be a grandmother or a colleague, mm. we do look for advice. And I certainly like being an elder of the village and you know, <laughs> giving advice or talking to people or, uh, you know, in a way, what I think is important in life. And, and I think that's... But I don't know that... I think you do that because that's part of a communication. I don't know that one needs to be... I don't know what being valued means in the sense that... how you make that into a public decree, mm. really. Well, I guess in every move that you make, you know, the way that you look is something that's highly scrutinised. So, you know, all of us in, in the glare of the media are... Uh, sort of walking our own paths. So, you know, we'll, we'll see whether hair colour eventually changes or not. Yes, I mean, I, I think, you see, the difficulty is, is that we, we live in a world, all of us really, that um, is such a strange mixture between, between enormous, you know, a surface and superficial, mm. but at the same time, people do want um, to feel that there's a way of attaching to others in a deeper way. And as far as I can see, there's a, a sense in which people want to find a proper path. But we are, you know, as human beings, we're enormously contradictory. And we are, you know, it is possible to be, you know, hugely taken up with trivial concerns at the same time as wanting to do something good and proper and real. Hmm. So I, I don't know that we can become these miraculously unflawed, noble uh, creatures with no uh, time for, you know, superficial worries and concerns. I can't see how that can... You could be human and be that person. No, that's true. You know, when, um, you know, when John, my first husband, got um, diagnosed with cancer, I did say to him, look, I'm sorry, but I've still got to be allowed to moan about trivial things because trivial things make up life as well. And he did. He moaned about trivial things too. It's the trivial may, may be exactly that, but actually those are the, the moments that are the everyday. Um, even when you're living under such conditions, mm. you can't, not everything is momentous and weighty. And yet have, have those terrible moments in your life helped you live more intensely? Has it changed the way that you approach life or work or family? I don't know that you can... I think that, in, in a sense, I don't think you can always um, be aware of... Because, in a sense, it, human beings have this miraculous um, gift to 
carry on in the everyday mm. without being completely polaxed by the notion of their own mortality, our own mortality. So we can do that. And I suppose, that, and that's um, because otherwise you would go around being so terrified. Yes. And it's how to have some element of being aware that life is precious and limited and fragile. Mm. Um, so you need to be aware of that and uh, just enough to make you, as you say, to, to make you value the good things, but not to be so aware of it that the fear of that uh, takes over. So everything in life is a bit of a balancing trick and, you don't, and because of that we often stumble and that's human as well. It is. We're going to uh, open up to questions from you uh, in a, just a short while. So uh, I wonder, Nigella, you've given the world, you, you make people feel wonderful. There's a cosiness to watching you on television. It's a, it's a delightful, delicious and inspiring world. But I wonder if there's one thing that you've never shared in front of an audience that you'd like to give us as a as a as a I gift feel, today. I don't know. I feel oh. I feel that I've said several things today that I haven't said before. <laughs> um, uh, so I feel I've done that, and I'm not really aware of everything. I mean, I just I don't know that I can conjure up something that is just that I have not. But I mean, I've lot, I've all right. Yes, recipe several, for recipe for things. happiness. No, I don't know several things today. I haven't said. I haven't said before. Recipe for happiness. Well, I don't know that such a, such a thing exists. No, of course. And also, it's that thing again. It's a bit of a cliche, but that thing that um, you know, I was always told at school, which is, you know, happiness is you, is not something you pursue. It's something you get as a byproduct of pursuing something else. Oh, and life I, is what happens when you think and, about other things. Yeah. And I think that that is that is absolutely um, the case. Uh, and once you start thinking about what happiness is, I don't know. It's then you start get being, you know, start designing some idea of what you think happiness should be. Mm. And I don't know that it works like that. Indeed. But if anyone's got a good recipe for it, I'll be very, very <laughs> grateful. So, have we got any questioners wanting to ask Nigella about ingredients, recipes, food for life? Have we <laughs> oh, you have to move to a microphone, though. You're so, mm. so when you're ready, if you'd like to ask Nigella a question, if you can come to one of the microphones, and then we can call out numbers. And uh, so I think there's one closest to you, if you're able to move. So number two. Nigella, if you were... I will. Oh, sorry. Sorry, someone just said something, so I was just meant, I was meant I'll answer in a minute. Mm -hmm. If you were a food, what would you be? Ooh. If I were a food... <laughs> well, I would like to think I'd be a very good loaf of bread. <laughs> you know, sustaining. I'd like, to think, I'd like to think that that's what I would be, but then the difficulty is bread, you know, needs other things too. But bread seems to me to, to be a very uh, important part of life. Essential. It's a something I've been meaning. When I think about the book, I might do sometime, sometime in the future. I've had one on the back burner about bread for a long time. <laughs> now I'm not going to make myself a particular type of bread. I, I feel that I, I want to contain the elements to make whatever loaf I feel like at the time. <laughs> Good, solid and sustaining. Could we have number four? Hello, 
Nigella. Hello. Um, firstly, I wanted to um, comment that my dad didn't do a lot of cooking when we grew up, but one recipe I do remember is curried sausages, and it always had sultanas in it. <laughs> See? And I do remember one peculiar time at having banana, so I thought that was really Really? Good. Yeah. Goodness. Which actually was quite nice, because it was, you know, sort of a lovely sweetness to it. See, um, look, it could be the start of the comeback. <laughs> <laughs> and do you um, have a question as well? I do have a question. Um, I have a, an Instagram account that's called I Want to Work with Nigella. <laughs> <laughs> and I wondered if you're looking for employees. <laughs> well, I'm not looking for employees, but I will look at your Instagram account. <laughs> okay, can we go I to will... number three? Thanks. <laughs> I answered, I did answer. I will look at your Instagram account. I don't, I'm not in need of employees because I don't, you know, it's not like I have a huge Is there a office. big team? No. There is not a big team there. I have, uh, well, at the moment I've got two part-time people. Is that people. Hetty and Zoe? That Hetty you, and Zoe, yeah. yes. Mm. Very nice. <laughs> Number three. Um, hello, Nigella. Hello. Uh, what are your thoughts on durian, and have you ever cooked with durian? I, do you know, my thoughts on durian are very, uh, pretty minimal, because I haven't, uh, I've only read about it. Oh. I haven't, is that the smelly one? Yes, no, smelly really, spiky one. No, I've read about it, but I, ha I it hasn't, I haven't uh, actually experienced it in my real life. I'll wait for the next book then. <laughs> It is quite delicious and quite challenging in some ways, but creamy and intensely tropical and uh, can be made into a beautiful mousse. I can't wait. Or ice cream. <laughs> Where are we, number two? Thanks, Maeve. Uh, hi, Nigella. Hi. Agriculture is such an important part of, obviously, food and uh, what we produce. Uh, how do you see the, can our connection at the moment with agriculture and the food that you use? Do you have a lot of uh, input into the food and where it comes from? Or? I, I think that, in a way, there's such a strange. Well, I, you know, there's there's two things going on in food, isn't there? There are there's the food has become more and more the production of food, uh, and I'm, I'm talking about the, you know, growing and so forth. In a way, people are more removed from it than ever before, and yet there are very very strong local movements for. Um, being knowing who's growing the food, where it comes from, and so forth. I mean, the nearest thing I get to that is I go to a local farmer's market on a Sunday to buy food. But at other times, I'm, you know, I will buy food that perhaps isn't always grown locally. Although, in where, in a, in a way, there's a slight oddness in that whole movement because what what counts as local actually is a huge area. Um, I, th I think it's as much as possible. It is, it's a great luxury to be able to eat in that way. And for many people, that, 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 that luxury isn't available to them. And it's a, it's a strange thing that things have turned on their head that, you know, and I've, I've written about this before, that what was it, when um, so much, there is a lot of snobbery in food, and, and this isn't a new thing, so that in the old days, when eating seasonally and uh, locally was 
uh, considered that was what peasants did, I mean, inverted commas, it, it, then it, everyone wanted to have, you know, these far-flung foods, you know, when people planted, you know, pineapples and built greenhouses for it, and it was as far as the food would come, that was a sign of, el of the elite. And now that uh, supermarkets exist so that people can get food from all over, there's a new form of elitism, which is about just uh, seasonally and locally. And for many people, eating every day and feeding their families, that is just not possible. Um, perhaps, but I, I certainly, as much as possible, I, I know from when I've grown my own food, that gives me a... To cook with food you've grown yourself, that gives me a huge thrill. So, where possible, yes, it's ideal. And I just, I'm always aware that it's not possible, always. Yeah, often, sometimes good food is... Um, the part of privilege rather than something yeah. that's available to all, yeah. which is which is hard, and it's something that we're facing in this country as well. And children um, growing larger and uh, and eating more than they need. The idea that um, you know snacks should be. I think the, the British Council came out with uh, public health came out with something about limiting English kids' snacks to two snacks a day. Where but, but, do we need but, them? No, but what I mean is, in what sense can you? What are they? What are they proposing to go into people's houses and watch what they give their children? <laughs> I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand. Indeed. You know, Guidelines. that's not. Yes. Mm. I mean, I think it's it's looking at everything the wrong way around as well. Number one. Hi. Hi. I have a two and a half year old daughter at home called Saffron. It's a lovely name. Thank yes. <laughs> Proving to be quite expensive as well. Um, she loves you, loves to watch your show, um, and she loves to cook. And, and like you, I'm a real advocate for child labour in the kitchen. <laughs> what are some of your most precious memories of your time in the kitchen with your babies when they were this time? Because it's such a precious time. It's um, yes, but it's... I mean, I loved cooking with my children when they were little, I and mean, I still do, but, um, but, you know, mainly also because I'm quite a lazy person and it meant that I didn't have to, you know, go and run about in the park. Um, <laughs> and so... <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I was talking to someone the other day and I was saying, cause I've, I've got two children, and it, the, the only thing is, is that, you know, everything has to be shared so fairly. And so if you're making, you know, a batch of cookies and you just need one egg, that's a disaster. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I always enjoyed it. And I always, I love, I used to like it as well if they'd be in the kitchen doing their homework while I was cooking. I think it's a, it's, it's a very important, it is a very important time together. But I, you know, the, the only thing is, is that, you know, it obviously makes everything, you know, messier and more fraught. And That's all. Yeah. It's not, you know, it doesn't make, the, it doesn't make anything any easier. <laughs> they don't and help you cook. And do but your it kids, is lovely. Do your kids cook now? They can cook, yes. But I think that generation cook a lot. Mm. Um, and I think that's great. Yeah. Lovely. Enjoy that special time. I remember my children standing on little stools yeah. and mixing mm. things. And it's, it's joy. It's yeah, lovely. It and, and to be able to pass that on to the next generation, that how things should taste yes. and, and how lovely it is to, to make things. Uh, number three. Uh, hi, Nigella. Hello. Watching your show and reading your books, I've always loved looking at your pantry. I was wondering what kind of advice you might give to someone in developing a very good pantry. 
And what advice? Well, I feel <laughs> that the difficulty is that you really, I think the thing is just to sort of curb your, curb your appetites in that regard, because I feel that it's very easy to get, um, to overstock. I think that, because once you start thinking this could be useful, I don't know, I mean, I think there are certain basics that, that everyone needs, but I suppose we all cook slightly differently and want, um, you know, want, I don't know that I could say to everyone, this is exactly how you must fill, fill a pantry. I think, I think perhaps this is where I, I'd say I'd link as well to that other person asking questions, because if you have people near you who make certain spice blends, or you can go to go into shops you might find, as well as, I suppose that makes sense, you, you mix that sort of local idea up, and especially in this country when you've got so much that's interesting, and then you can balance that with a bit of online shopping as well for the, for the rarer things. Indeed, lovely. Yeah. Number two, I have to say, this is my friend Judy, who's a <laughs> uh, goddess of the Lebanese kitchen. Oh, that's fantastic yeah. food. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Maeve. Nigella, when you mentioned the word Labni, I immediately went back to a little Syrian refugee camp in the south of Lebanon, where I got the privilege of making Labni with some of those women who every day make food the purpose for living. Mm. Um, and for me, it, triggers, it triggered a tear and a smile. What's a food that triggers something so warm and deep in your heart? Well... <laughs> I don't know that I have something that I would say is, you know, there's a recipe I've often spoken about before, my mother's chicken, which it's always, um, you know, just thrown in a pot with some leeks and carrots, um, and very old-fashioned way of cooking that is, uh, for me, very much a taste of home. But I think it's, it, it's really anything that I've cooked, a lot of, I mean, in a way, my, the book, my books become a bit like photograph albums because they tell the story of what I've been cooking over the years. And it's always, I can always, when I go back to one of them and I'm getting a recipe for something, I so remember, you know, what age my children were when I was cooking that. And I'm not, I mean, they're recipes I still cook, but going back and seeing them in books, it becomes almost like a very sort of private uh, album as if I've stuck in everything myself. So <laughs> and now the pots as well. <laughs> the pots are just, yes, the food will always have a dip, more of a place in my heart. Lovely. <laughs> Number four. Hello, Nigella. Hello. Hello, Opera House. <laughs> uh, we've spoken a little bit about locality of produce. We've spoken a little bit about shopping. I wonder, recently, if you're having a dinner party, do you have a favourite place to shop for ingredients? Oh, I don't have any one place I shop. I mean, I, I think that I... And it really, I mean, as I say, I like going to the farmer's market on a Sunday. I've got some shops I go to where I've known, you know, known them for the people for ages. I mean, in a way, they provide my village, even if I'm sometimes phoning up because I can't get to a shop. Um, but I, and I like making new discoveries of shops too. But I, I and like everyone else, I also, we often will get things from a supermarket I mean, I, I'm quite, I'm sort of fairly mixed about, um, you know, where I get the, where I get the food that but I like. But with the dinner party, are you planning in advance or is the, 
beautiful produce that you'd find, say, at that farmer's market saying, well, that might, I'm going to do this great salad, blah, That blah. will really depend on... That will really depend... I nearly always will know the backbone mm. of what I'm going to cook. And then I might change my mind when I'm shopping because I see another ingredient. But generally speaking, you know, that, so I will... I'll certainly... Certain parts, certain elements will be just because of what's in season. If I were in cooking dinner tomorrow, I would, and I were in England, because it's the season for that very pink forced rhubarb, I know I would be, I would ha have to be using that. I know that it's because it's the Seville orange, the bitter orange season, that would be a part. So there, so there are certain things which I would be using, because I know that's it for now, and, but then it's... I might well just use them, but have a recipe I already had in mind and just adapt it to use what's in season. You get the impression from reading and watching you that life is a, a continual dinner party. Oh, There's something not. being cooked and it's you need not. to... I oh, know, I'm always it's cooking not. something. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very... Actually, I go through... What happens is, is that I go through a thing of having inviting too many people too often <laughs> and then I don't do anything for a long time because then I just think, oh, God, I've just been washing up for four days solid <laughs> and I'm not going to do that for a long time. And then I do it again. It really, it's, it, the great irony is that when I'm filming or really busy, say, on book tour, then I never cook for anyone. Mm. I mean, I always do make sure there's something to eat, but then, so it's, it's odd. It's an odd thing. Number one. Hi, Nigella. Um, uh, in Australia, we have a really beautiful food culture that's uh, based do. off many multi multicultural elements. We're a very multicultural uh, country, yet I think in a way the thing that hasn't made a resurgence is the 60,000 year of, uh, of food culture that existed in this country uh, mm. for a very, very long time. And I think with the culture of globalisation in this world, uh, there are some traditions that are certainly being lost and some that are gaining more traction like food trends. As uh, an influencer with a, a very large footprint for a lot of people who have fallen in love with cooking, especially watching you since young ages, I know myself, I have since I was about, I was very small. I mean, how do you think we, uh, you know, can kind of try and preserve some of those cultures so that they're not lost and embrace, you know, tradition? Well, I think that you, it's very, I mean, I've been very interested when I've been in Australia to see certain ingredients and ways of cooking from, you know, the, that was it the first, you know the first people then that's been very influential i think it's also quite important that this isn't taken over by chefs who are when you get into the cultural appropriation arena um i think as much as possible the people whose foods have perhaps been forgotten are the people who we need to bring that cooking um to us um, but, but on the other hand, food is there to be shared and then we can take certain elements and use them. And I think all those of us who like cooking tend to absorb the food of other cultures. But I, I think that it's, it, it's, in order, it, it's got to become more than a restaurant movement, I think, is what I would say. Um, and I suppose these days a way of getting foods into the public awareness and into people's homes is TV. But the, you're right, there is so much to learn where um, I'm standing with an Aboriginal man, he says, this is my pharmacy and my supermarket and it's mm. the bush. And so the whole medicinal side of, yes. of food is something that, you know, is, is an mm. undercurrent, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Number two. Okay. 
Nigella, as someone as I feel is inherently elegant, can you give me some advice <laughs> on the most important element of cooking, which is the washing up? Even the greatest meal has the washing up, and I leave my kitchen like a bombsite all the time, and I get complaints from my family. Have you any advice how I can minimise that? Well, yes, but why are you using... Just use fewer... I mean, I think, I think you just have to... Um, Get disciplined, maybe. Just wash up as you go. Any disciplines that you've got? <laughs> <All right>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm focused on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It's, it's well, that... Uh, but it's that but sort of... why are you cooking the sort of food that needs so many pans? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Maybe this... that's the advice that you give. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you. This... Number four. Hi, Nigella. Hello. I like to bake cakes a lot, and I've got a few friends that can't eat eggs. I'm just wondering if you know any alternative ingredients for eggs. Well, I'm not really the best person to ask because you need something a bit more technical, but as whenever I've researched this, it seems to me that, depending on the recipe, uh, a mashed banana will work in place of eggs. Sometimes oil will. Sometimes... Um, now, there are these things that people call flax eggs. It doesn't sound very um, appealing, uh, which is when you... Don't you absorb, let flaxseed absorb some water and it creates a sort of glue. Mm. I mean, there are... There are websites dedicated to this, and it's, it, generally speaking, I mean, I've got a couple of uh, vegan cake recipes, both of which are on my website, but, you know, obviously they don't use eggs. And, both, and in both cases, I think it's a bit of acid um, and bicarbon oil seems to, seems to replace it. There's one cake I make, I don't know why it works. So I can't then, it's, a, it's by a happy accident that it works, so I don't really know how to then make that work for, uh, and not <laughs> make it work for another cake. So I think maybe you have to start off afresh with, with particular recipes that are meant to be egg-free rather than actually trying to um, substitute some other ingredient for an egg. Interesting, though, that you can distill the science behind something happening particularly when you're baking and that you can then diagnose what's working or not because that's... But it's quite hard to that do. That is very hard to It's do. quite hard to do and there are people who are technical and can do it and I always have to sort of grope my way towards it. Yeah. We've got time, sadly, for just one more question so I'll go to number three. Hello, Nigella. Hello. Hello. Do you feel compelled to find the ultimate recipe, like to find the driven to find that perfect recipe, that perfect food combination? Mm, do you or know are I'm... you happy to work with just ingredients that you know work so well? Well, there isn't any one perfect recipe. That's what's so wonderful about cooking. You know, that there are so many different ways you can make... Every recipe you make, you could make in so many different ways. And people do, and I think that... One of the great things about home cooking is that everyone cooks a partic these particular uh, 
recipes that might, they might nominally share with other people. Italians, they, they might say there's one way to cook a meat sauce, but they will all cook it slightly differently in their own homes. And I think that's what is great about home cooking, is we have our own ways and we adapt. There isn't, you know, there's not one perfect recipe or one right recipe and all the rest are wrong. A recipe has to bear the stamp of, of who we are and what, um, and how we cook and our, what food we like eating, what our family likes eating. But within that, yes, I'm always driven to make something that I think is exactly how I want it. But I've never, ever cooked um, something without thinking I could carry on forever fiddling about and coming up with a different way of eating it. And that's what I do. <laughs> and that is what you do. Yeah. One final thought on the joys of home cooking, Nigella, for, for us who, mm. who love cooking, who love reading recipes. Mm. Is this something that... I, well, for me, I think it's, about, it, it's really that... F yes, I, I mean, I love eating, and food's very important, but it's above all, it's a, just, just as songs do this, we hear a song and it brings us a certain time. With food, it's always... It's often as a backdrop to, you know, the, the, the people that we're eating with or the memories that we have. So I think the thing about home cooking is that... Um, you're, you're actually making memories, and that seems to me the most, you know, precious thing you can do. Both live in the moment, but it, but, but that moment has, uh, has its trace and its imprint not only on, you know, our lives, but the lives of everyone else that we're cooking for. And to me, that's irreplaceable. Absolute gold. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us and, and, and thank uh, you and, and thank sharing you. your life and your stories <laughs> with us. It's a it's a lovely way to spend time. Food is the ultimate conversation. It and, is, uh, and you've been tremendous. Thank you. Thank you, and thank all of you. Thank you. Thank you.